All right. Well, we're continuing our series, Uncommon Joy. And uh, I'll be continuing it today a little bit. But in two weeks, Pastor Dan is going to be uh, bringing a message about the movie Superman. Now, you may think, is that Christian? It's going to be, I promise. And it will be a great time to, uh, to invite uh, dads to come to our church service. And uh, we're going to be handing out two free tickets to the movie Superman, Man of Steel, um, to fathers that you bring that may not have attended uh, Springbrook before. I know that takes all the selfish motive out of it because it's going to be given to them, but we pray you use this as an opportunity to maybe outreach to a father in your neighborhood or a father in your family uh, that uh, might draw them just a little bit more. I mean, hey, that's movie tickets, man. So uh, that's great news, and we pray you uh, use that to God's glory in that. So um, today we're going to continue into a passage that really reflects from last week. We have to keep uh, what Dan shared last week, because if you were to just read this passage, you would think it was about performance, and you, you really got to put the two of these things together. And so I want to remind us of, of what Dan uh, shared with a little bit last week, and then we'll uh, proceed into uh, what we're going to talk about this week. And last week, Dan shared, it's not how hard you work to earn God's love. It can't be earned. Your actions cannot squeeze one more drop of love from God. It's all yours in Christ Jesus. It belongs to you when you receive Him as Lord and Savior. So what failures you may have or what successes or whatever it is, you're not going to withhold any of His love or draw any more. It's all already yours. So it's not based on our actions. And, and uh, Dan talked about uh, how Paul had a long list uh, of great things that he did. He was a very religious guy. He had a very clean life, and that wasn't what the Christian life was for him. It wasn't about his achievements. He talked about having a, the ultimate Jewish resume, right? And uh, it didn't matter how long his resume was. Once Paul found Christ, it was all garbage. And he said, I now know that life is about the priceless knowledge of having Christ Jesus my Lord. And then he works himself out in me. And so that was a great message. And today's passage is in reference to that. So when you hear about striving and pursuing and chasing, it is not human effort. It is God's work within us causing us to do that, right? So strive and pursue Jesus. And so, in light of that, let's pray together and, uh, and, and dig in. Lord Jesus, we just, uh, we just know that uh, no amount of striving will earn one more drop of love, that your, your presence is all we need, that we are complete through our union with you. And so, God, I pray that each person in this room would look to Jesus and say, I receive you and I call you my own Lord and Savior. And let that begin to work. Let that motivate the striving and the, and the transformation that only you can do and that we cannot muster in our own strength. Keep our eyes on Jesus as we read through this passage today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, to get us started in today's passage, I'd like to take a look at an athletic figure because there's a lot of athletics in this. And, uh, and I want to bring up the athlete. Uh, she was called the athlete of the previous, of the 20th century. 
Now, does anybody know who that might be? We've got some hints for you. She was the first woman to score 7,000 points in the heptathlon at seven events, which are grueling and difficult, right? Um, She was born in St. Louis, Illinois, to a poverty-stricken family. She grew up near a Boys and Girls Club of America that changed the direction of her life. She started playing basketball and running there. She went to UCLA on a full-ride basketball scholarship. She could regularly jump more than 24 feet. Three times eight, 24. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm not even going to try. That would be an embarrassment, and you may have to call the hospital, right? 24 feet. Put a bar three inches over her head, and she'll jump it most of the time. She had a deadly form of asthma, and she had to run with that inhaler by her side most of the time that she ran. Despite this, six Olympic gold medals dominated the sport for 10 years, a decade. Three of those medals were gold. She still holds the record, the world record in the heptathlon, by a comfortable 256 points. Oh, 259, sorry. Uh, Her name, Jackie Joyner-Kersey. And I remember being a little boy And I watched her run. She looked angry and desperate at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Her cheeks used to blow up, you see, as she's jumping the high bar. I mean, she was going. And if you watched her run, I watched some videos. I was going to play some, and it would take way too long. But when she ran, she didn't look left or right. She was not worried about the competition on the left and right side. She was zeroed in. She knew where she was going, and she was getting there faster than everybody else or getting higher above it than anybody else. She ran and strove and jumped desperately. And she looked like if whatever was behind her caught her, she might die. That's the kind of drive she had. She she was not concerned by her competition, even though she left them in the dust. She was... If she was 20 feet ahead, she was still just desperately trying to reach the finish line. And she said this, From the time I started racing, it felt like I was never alone. Like the shadow of all my best performances was right behind me. It was like they were racing against me. In the end, that pushed me like nothing else. The only person that I had to beat was myself. And you know what? That race never ends. That's a pretty great quote. And it works very well into some of the things we're going to be talking about. Some of the things we're going to agree with and some of the things we're going to disagree with. Because it's not scripture, but it's good, some of it. So uh, Jackie knew how to compete. If you wanted to be fast and strong and explosive, she was the lady to follow. She was the one that uh, set a great example. There was never a controversy about whether she was doping or not. No one ever suspected anything like that. She didn't have any conflict around her. She just ran, and she pursued this perfection. She never became a perfect athlete, 
But she was voted the female athlete of the century. Now, think of that and how hard she pursued that idea of perfection. And whether she won or she lost, she was more concerned with how did she do? Uh, It was about getting after that. And so Paul's words, you know, uh, ring similar to hers. She never she never attained perfection. But he says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. What is he talking about this? This means the knowledge of Christ. It doesn't mean perfect behavior. It doesn't mean I did it just right. It means the knowledge and the understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for me and what his character is like and and how great his love for me. Um, It wasn't about that. It was about uh, knowing him and understanding him and allowing him to strengthen him to do what God called him to do, not attain some worldly standard, right? Now, in the message last week, Dan talks about Paul's pursuit of righteousness before he met Christ, his former uh, undisputed obedience to Jewish laws. When Paul met Christ, all that stuff, he said, garbage. I just want Jesus. I just need more of Jesus. And so in order to get Jesus, he, he would just chase him almost infinitely. He, he was no longer trying to be impressive. He never looked at his competition and said, well, I'm better than that guy. He didn't worry about that. All he wanted was more Jesus. He starts with verse 12 proclaiming, I'm not perfect yet. And the race goes on and on. Now, Paul, we say, you know, Jackie Joyner-Kersey might have been the, 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 the athlete of the last century. Paul may have been the Christ follower of his century. But it's not good enough for him. He wants Jesus. Not, not the actions, not the, the stuff. He wants Jesus. Christ-likeness is his goal. Not being better than everybody else. We need to admit here that if Paul probably Christian the century. I don't know. God is the judge of those kind of things. But if Paul's not there yet, we're not there yet. And we've got to be okay with that in one way. And so I'd like you to turn to the people around you and let them know. Just say, I'm not perfect yet. Just let them know. I'm not perfect yet. I'm not perfect yet. Now, I can see you. I can see if you're doing what I... The lights aren't that bright, and I have glasses that reflect pretty well, so I can see some of you didn't do it. Repent. Now, if you heard someone say that to you, say, keep allowing Christ to work in you. Keep allowing Christ to work in you. That's an encouragement. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, that... Christ-like perfection. I haven't got it all yet. But I do, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Past performance is not important, right? Jackie says, the shadow shadow of her past performances were right behind her, chasing her. She intended to beat them. Right? 
wasn't about our competitor or being the best. It was about just becoming stronger and closer to that. And I don't know about you, but I've got some shadows of past performances. Some of them were pretty good. Many of them, last place, not so good. Miserable failure. Anybody? Yeah, we all would put our hands up, wouldn't we? We've got shadows. And the beautiful thing about following Christ is this is a forward-looking faith. One of the greatest things about Christ is if you screwed up this morning, it's forgiven, and that you are free to pursue perfection in Christ. The perfectness of Christ, you're free to keep chasing after it, to keep knowing Him. Yesterday's mistakes, this morning's mistake, you did something this morning. It's gone. We're looking forward. The guilt of my past does not define me anymore. The things that I used to be unable to do or not have the internal strength to do or not have that, that character to do, Christ is giving me. And it's through Christ I live this new life and I go forward. And I pray the same for you. That you would look at your past and say, you, you don't define me. I'm done with you. Right? The mistakes that I made do not shape who I will be in the future. My new direction is perfection in Christ. That's what I want. And that is what He is doing in me when I choose to be with Him. And some of us may have said, well, my past performances are pretty good. I'm, I'm a pretty good Christian. I mean, looking around, they're pretty awesome. I did some good stuff. I know the Bible really well. Past performances are not worthy of Jesus. The best thing that they could have done was help remind people of Jesus. Is to give glory to Christ. That's hope that our past actions did that. But, in, but let's move forward to what Jesus is doing. Right? So whether your performances be great or miserable, they do not define anything about your future. Jesus does. Amen? Jesus defines my future. My guilt, gone. My good performances are in the past. I'd like you to look around the room and just let a couple people know that my past performances were not worthy. No matter how good or bad, they're not worthy. Just go ahead and say that. We all get comfortable there. We'll get comfortable in grace. So go ahead and say, my past performances, not worthy. Not worthy. My wife here, I'm sorry, honey. Not worthy. If somebody told you that, you need to tell them, keep allowing Christ to work in you. There's hope. Amen. There's hope. Let them know. Let all of us who are mature think this way. And if, any, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So those of us who are mature, those of us who have run towards Christ, and you look at their life and you say, that person reminds me of Jesus frequently and consistently. And you're like, wow, you know, 
Let those people decide together. Let put them in charge and say, their job is to keep us all running hard. Get us to go and pursue Christ. Right? And so that's what their role is. We should constantly, together, be seeking the leadership of, of, of the Holy Spirit to help us be more like Jesus. He's the one doing the work, and we need to be listening to His voice more than some idea of a good person. We need to follow Him. And so pray for your leaders in our church that they would continue this work, that they would pursue Christ themselves, and that they would continue to encourage others to do it. And that God would bring unity to them in how to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, you're going to get used to doing this right now. Does everybody do this? Hold true. I can see you. You have to do it. There you go. Okay. So, hold true. I'm going to hold true. What Jesus has taught me so far, I'm not, I don't want to forget. I'm going to hold it in the things, the love that He's revealed to me. I'm, I'm holding on. And I'm not letting go and I'm grabbing onto something else. I'm holding true. Christ is the standard. I'm not lowering it. I'm not going to try and fit the world. I belong to Him. A lot of times we're tempted out into this world to ask, what will make us whole? But nothing but Jesus makes us whole. Working harder than anybody else will not make you whole. Right? Performances will not make you whole. Attaining a position for the praise of people will not make you whole. Hollywood teaches us that, doesn't it? You know? Having a spouse will not make you whole. You know what? Anybody seen the movie Jerry Maguire? You complete me. She should have said you incomplete me. You reveal my incompleteness. My wife would say that all the time, you know. <laughs> She's sitting there. She is going to kill me later. But uh, I just sense that marriage doesn't complete us. And so if you're unmarried, don't sweat it. That's not what makes you complete. Christ does. If you're just desperate to get a wife or a husband, that's not what makes you complete. Having children does not make you whole. that sink in. If you don't have children, you can still have completeness in Christ. They don't make anybody complete. They make us completely crazy at times. Right? Children will not make you complete. They are not the author or perfecter of life. Jesus is. And that's a pain that goes pretty deep. But they don't make you can be complete without. Having more of anything in this world, a bigger house, a nicer car, more money, does not complete you. Only Jesus does. The job you want will not make you content. Only Jesus can. 
Go after Jesus. Go after perfection. Strive for it. Any gift that God gives us should be used to experience Him more. And any gift that God denies us or takes back from us, really lost or never been given, that is a chance to experience Christ more. Right? That's hard to believe sometimes, but I pray that you do. We must not let go of our hold on Christ to embrace any other worldly offer. So are you ready to do this? I want you, Christ, if you've chosen to follow Christ and He is in you, hold Him in. He's going to stay there, I promise, but hug Him. He's in you. Do it. I'm watching you. My eyes aren't closed yet. Okay. And say to Him, all I need is right here in you. I am completely forgiven in you. I am whole in you. I don't need anything else but you. Make me more like you. Everything I have belongs to you. Everything I am is yours. Even in death, I will be yours. You will never let me go. So help me to not let go of you. Amen. I pray that's your heart and that when the rubble falls around you, you hold on to Christ. And remember, you didn't need the house. You didn't even need the spouse. You know, no things rhyme. I won't go to mouse or anything like that. But you get what I'm saying? They're good and they're gifts, but they're just a chance to experience Christ more. So, brothers, and that by that brethren it means it means all believers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We're going back to Jackie Joyner Cursey. Cursey, sorry, keep saying it. If you want to run faster, jump higher, be more explosive, and just be an all-around better, more perfect runner, you would need to study Jackie. That would be a great person to look at and say, well, if I want to train, if I want to do what she does, I have to train like she trains. I have to study that. I have to learn how to think like she thinks about running. Think the same thoughts. Feel the same feelings. Move like she moves, and by imitating her, you will become a more perfect runner. Does it work that way? It does. And so Paul kind of connotates the same thing. And he says, join in imitating me. Who is Paul imitating? Christ. So as much as I can help you experience and know Christ more, as much as you see that in my life, do what I do when I do that. Right? And when you see other people do that, do what they do. So if you want to run faster and further towards Christ, it says pay studious attention. What does it mean by paying studious attention? It means you're taking notes. You're watching, you're making observations, doing critical thinking. You're studying them. Are there people in your life around you that are following Christ and you just there's some stuff in them that you say wow when they do that I 
see Jesus. And I, want to, I want to see Jesus like that in me. So I'm going to repeat that process, right? So if you see those kind of people, study how they train. Just like how Jackie Joyner Kersey trains, study how those people train for Christ. How they think, learn it, right? Study how they feel, how they behave, how they relate to other people. Study how they rest. Study how they reflect. Study how they concentrate. Study how they pray. Study what they study. Study how they recover when they make mistakes or something goes wrong. Study them. Studiously take notes, right? And then imitate as much as you can. Pick the best out of every Christ follower you know and, and draw it into yourself. Right? They, they have an infinite supply. You can steal everything from them and Jesus will just give it more to them. Right? He's supplying all they need. You can take it from them and, and copy them and imitate them. For me, I have some people, my wife, her compassion, her worship, her service, her tenderness. My father, his peace, his joy, his character, his grace, his strength, his affection. My mother, her intimacy with Jesus. It's just stunning. I would come home sometimes and see my mom just crying in worship to Jesus. And she gave that. My brothers all differently growing towards Christ and becoming who Jesus wants them to be. I will steal from them everything I can because they have an infinite supply. Help me to be more like Jesus, people around me. My youth pastor, Scott, was not a member of my family. He was some guy from Rockford. Unpaid. Took me as his disciple. Showed me the character of Christ a little bit more every day. Who is this for you? Who are you looking at and saying, man, they really get Jesus? Who, who is patterning their life after Jesus and you're imitating them? You know, asking them, what's your study habits? What do you think about when you think about Jesus? What do you reflect on a lot of the time? What's the phrases that go through your head all the time? Ask them those things. They're so They can help you so much be like Jesus. I pray you find that person. So that's, we look for people who are like Christ in their motive and the, the way they genuinely love Jesus. And then Paul switches his attention here, and he moves to another group of people. People you should definitely not imitate. Right? And so this is a little harsh here. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears. I mean, these people upset me so much, I want to cry. Because if you watch them and if you follow them and if you think like they think and do like they do, you'll become enemies of Christ, the cross of Christ. So, so many of them, he tells us, with tears, with, they say, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. And a lot of times we got to watch whose lives we are most similar to. Does that make sense? If you are a lot like everyone around you, take a step back and say, whoa, who, who's around me? Who, who is being Christ-like? Am I imitating them? Is this the example I'm setting for my Christ? Or myself? Is it 
Is it Christ-like? The world is full of people who pretend to be moral and godly but are not. They are living as if life right now is all that matters. Has anybody ever heard the term YOLO? You only live once, right? That's what it stands for. You only live once, so live it up. That mentality is dangerous. I'm not saying it's entirely bad because you get one opportunity here on earth to live for Christ. Please do it. But this life is not all there is. In Christ, it's not YOLO. Right? If you have a you only live in this world and nothing else is going to matter after that, you'll have a different attitude. People who live, who YOLO try to get as much as they can and protect everything that they possess. Right? They seek to be served rather than to serve. And when they do serve, there is very much selfish, amb- selfish ambition in it. Look at me. Look how nice I am. I'm a good person. Right? They spend their money and their energy on themselves. They refuse to be inconvenienced by anyone. They insist you have worldly priorities like they have. They want you to value what they value and disdain what they disdain. And I just want to say, do not be YOLO. Do not be YOLO. There is, in Christ, another life to be lived. And it is not is not dependent on our earthly situation. You don't live life once, only once. In Christ, you are born again and you will be resurrected. So live like you live twice. Right? Once here on earth and once in heaven. And let those two come together. We consistently need to watch ourselves to see who, who we are imitating kind of want to give an example of this in my own life. I was raised in a sports-obsessed culture. Anybody else raised in a sports-obsessed culture? Right? And uh, I have some crazy ambition in sports. And I like to pass that on to my children. So my son is enrolled in soccer. And it is really difficult for me to not make that the most massive priority of my life and, and d- display to my children that I'm so excited about their performance in soccer. Right? That they're so awesome. That was such a great game. I'm so excited. Right? I have to, I have to hold back a little bit. I've been trained by my culture. Ingrained in me is the tendency to give more attention to athletics than I do Christ-likeness in my son. I don't want to tell you how bad it is in me. And I have to resist it. I need to be careful to show my child that sports and success in sports will not matter in eternity. None of the Blackhawks will be bringing the Stanley Cup to heaven with them. It's not packable luggage. It will not survive. Knowing Jesus, experiencing His power in us, and following the leading of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that will matter. We've got to remember that because we live in a sports-crazed world. Victory and superiority is totally 
irrelevant. That, now that is like, is he an American? Victory and superiority is irrelevant. Especially in sports. Elijah's playing soccer is just an opportunity to develop Christ-likeness and be a light in a dark and soccer-obsessed world. Am I saying I'm going to pull them out? No, but the priority is not dominance or victory. It's Christ-likeness in soccer. And if ever soccer becomes more important, you well, know, say goodbye to soccer, right? So there it is. But our citizenship is in heaven, right? We're not of this world anymore. Christ has made us new. We are of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. If you are in Christ, if you found Him, you are now on foreign soil. Right? When I was uh, about 16 years old and maybe 17... I went and spent five weeks in El Salvador. Uh, and if you don't know where that is, it's Central America. It's down, it's little, it's really small on the map. And you'd struggle to find it after church today. But I spent some time there. And, and if you know something about history, uh, America supported a war in El Salvador. Um, the government had been, become corrupt. We gave one side guns bullets and they used them to oppress the people and there was injustice and and that political situation was so messy we don't have time to argue who was right and who was wrong all the El Salvadorian people knew is that their their children their fathers and their brothers and their friends were being killed by American guns and American bullets given to, to somebody right they didn't even have to buy them they gave them so I went into that culture, and I tried, I memorized their language, and I tried as best I could and, and memorized the gospel in their language and began to present it to them. And they would bring me to places and say, see the bullet holes in the background? This is where they got my dad. And there are people who would rather spit on me than listen to me present the gospel because of my American citizenship. And after about four weeks of loving people who would prefer to spit on me, I realized that to me, my citizenship in heaven is so much more important than my American citizenship. That they could make fun of America all they want. I was not here to represent America. I was here to represent Jesus. A church was planted while I was there. And 2,000 people came to Christ through the effort of teenagers that one summer. And the citizenship of heaven grew. And they became members of foreign soil. They stood on foreign soil. They became members of a new kingdom. I pray that your citizenship in heaven is so much more powerful than your citizenship on, here on earth. That the culture of heaven affects you 
more than the culture of America. I pray that you become what heaven calls you to be. And it says at the end of that passage that Christ is going to bring all things under his authority. I'm so looking forward to that day when I don't have to struggle anymore with the things that I used to do. When he makes me whole and complete in him completely. I'm looking so forward to that day. And I pray that you are as well. And my goal today, and every day hopefully that I wake up, and I pray that it's your goal too, is that one day you will think like he thinks and feel like he feels and love like he loves. And everything that you are will be in submission to him. Every moment, every decision. And I pray that you say, I want today to look like that day as much as possible. That's what I want. How can I choose to make this day look like that day? You can't do that without His strength, without His power, without His working in you. And so, Because it's about His authority, not your self-control or your self-discipline. It's about His leadership, right? And then Paul closes with verse 4-1. Therefore, my brothers, followers of Christ, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Is this a man who's given his kids a list of things to do? No. It's to stand firm with our Heavenly Father. Stand firm as citizens of a new kingdom, as people set free from their past. Performances don't matter. Only what is ahead in Christ matters. Right? He's affectionate. He says that those people are his joy and his crown. As you, if you're a person that's following Christ, I pray you've become more like Christ so much that you're helping other people to become more like Christ. And a lot of times people ask me, Justin, how do you hang out with junior high boys and not go crazy? Right? And go on a retreat. Hi, Devin. And <laughs> that was funny. Couldn't find that better, buddy. So how do you hang out with them and not go just crazy? And i got to confess, if it was me, I'd probably kill some of your kids. <laughs> they do. They drive you crazy, right? I got all of them at once. And so, um, but there's a greater power at work. And I'm so glad. Because um, he endears me to them. They become my crown. I love the What a joy. I pray that you find people that Christ teaches you love joy doesn't get any better than experiencing him developing love in you for people you wouldn't normally love and him teaching you how valuable and how precious they are how fortunate you are to be around them it's the best thing in life stand firm keep up the pursuit of Christ's work in you and through you
Now, Dan coached me on some of this lesson, this message, and he said, uh, why don't you go back to the point of the whole Scripture? And let's, let's sit here, and that's in Philippians 2.13. It is God. It is not you. It is you depending on Christ. It is God who works in you to both will you to give you the desire and to work means work it out it's his work making you want to do it for his good pleasure that takes a lot of stress off it's not my performance all I have to do is strive to be right here Wherever he goes, hold his hand. Whatever he says, hear his voice. And who he sends me to, to go to. And who he tells me to love, to love. That is the experience in Christ. It's God's work. And it is wonderful. He's the author and perfecter of faith. Let's pray together. Jesus, what a beautiful life we can live. What joy, what hope we have. You change us from the inside out. You erase our past mistakes. You put all things in perspective. So Jesus, we ask you today to help us to be more striving in our pursuit of Jesus and his work in us and his work through us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Thank you, Justin.